Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The John Frickin' Mearpod is stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear for Season 6 of the podcast. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Do yourself a favor and get your gear at GGG. If it scares you, it might be a good thing to try. Seth Godin. So I started it with two buddies who I had met separately on different long distance trails. And I knew they were both badass hikers. So happy that I had like kind of a team to, to do this with because I wanted to do it. And I was planning originally when the thought came up of attempting it myself. But then I, these two guys said, like, if you're serious, like I'm, I'm in, this sounds awesome. And they joined me for the, the first two months. And then a couple weeks after one another, they both decided to bow out. No hard feelings or anything, but the, the, day that the second of them left and I realized I was on my own that was a big mental kind of uh that that day was a big mental day just kind of figuring out like okay am I gonna go through with this like this is another I knew it was gonna be roughly a seven month trip so this is the next five months solo and it's not the PCT or, or the CDT where you're gonna come across other hikers and join up it will be just me I'm Doc and this is Hiker Trash Radio 
Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and help us move up the charts. And if you don't like what we're doing, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, an experienced through hiker who decided to get creative and take his hiking to the next level. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Dylan Ivins. How's it going, Dylan? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Did I get the last name right? We didn't talk about that beforehand. Yeah, yeah. You're all good. Okay. Ivans. Love it. <laughs> now, we usually go by trail names here on the podcast. Doc is not on my paycheck or driver's license. Um, during during all your time on the trail, have you picked up a trail name, Dylan? Yeah, yeah. Pretty quick. When the PCT was my first, I became uh, right on. Right on. Tell us the story behind that. Um, so nothing too special, but yeah, first couple of weeks you're, you're meeting everyone and asking, you know, where they're from, all this and that and small talk. And, and I guess my common response was always, Oh, right on, right on. And the guys I was hiking with just at some point just turned and looked at me. He's like, you know, you say that a, a lot, maybe too much. I think, I think you're going to be right on. And I, and I don't know if this is true, but in my mind now, the memory is just me looking back at him and saying, Oh, right on. <laughs> As far as trail names go, yeah, that's that's not so bad. I can, I'm fine with that. Classic. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna have you on the clock tonight. I'm gonna count how many times you say "right on." Are you self conscious about oh, that man. now? Do you, do you like avoid it, or how does that work? After right after that, like became the trail name. I definitely was. It was in my head for a little while, but it's you know that's so long ago now that it's everything's just yeah, it, it's all good. It, it, I'm sure I still say it quite a bit. Okay, we'll start a tally. <laughs> Hey, right on. Have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a, a, I don't know, a handful of episodes. One of the uh, one, I think that you did with the, the guy that made the Croatian long distance trail. Yeah. Um, that really sparked my eye because that, you know, that, well, as we'll get into is, is kind of in my wheelhouse for the area that that goes through and then drew my attention to the podcast. And I've listened to a handful since. So yeah, that's yeah, all good stuff. Yeah, you you and Nicola uh, Horvat are are kindred spirits. I bet. I think so. I think so. See, that was the appropriate time to say it right on. I I I am a little <laughs> self conscious now. I am thinking of it. I don't want to run the tally up too much. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. I should have just revealed the tally at the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, the only reason I ask if you listen to the podcast because you probably noticed a change. We we introduced ourselves tonight as Hiker Trash Radio, and you probably listened to the John Freaking Mirror Pod. Yeah, I listened to one this morning, actually, just to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, keep everything fresh for me. And it was one of the newer ones. So I, I was aware of the recent okay. switch. Yeah, yeah, we did a little rebranding. <laughs> We're very happy with that. Uh, it's been going well. Also want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that we do towards the end of each episode called The Hiking Hack. And that's where you will have a chance to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. Got it. I'm ready. I got one loaded, but okay. we'll wait. 
Okay, yeah, don't 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 yeah, use it up too early. It. That's right. All right. Trailblazers Toolkit. That's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Now, right on, I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest adventure gear. So if you were preparing for your next adventure, and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Make sure to give me all the specifics on that piece of gear and tell me why you got to have it out there. And this can be any type of item. It could be gear, it could be apparel, it could be a luxury item. So right on, what is that item in your toolkit? It's always tough to think of something for, for in general, right? Cause I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, take stuff that's suited to what you're going to be, what you're going to need. Right. Um, and, and especially with so now that I've spent a bit of time on the trail, I've got the, that big gear closet that's, you know, getting probably a little too full, but um, in terms of something that I would always need, I'm thinking something like uh like water filter, like Sawyer squeeze is my go-to. It has been since day one and, and, I can't think of a trip back country where I'm not going to want to have something for that. So I think, I think that'd be my choice. And actually that, that was, it's also what I've got a little tip for that, but I'm, I'm holding that one, that one back. We'll get to it, but it, it just works. Right. I mean, it's, it's a standard out on the trails for a reason. Fantastic. You hit the buzzer word. You said Sawyer. Sawyer is one of our, one of our sponsors. And so that earns you an extra 10 points on the hiking pole. So congratulations on that. Way to go. Oh, Good stuff. I didn't even know those were bonus points. <laughs> I just instituted that tonight. So I'm, I'm doing <laughs> it on the fly. Now you talked about your gear closet. How big is your gear closet? What, what how much gear is in there? So it's not a physical closet. I've got about, I, I've got like a good sized bin that's just full of stuff. I also, uh, last year, um, I converted a van and took that out to Western Canada and all that. So there's, there's a bunch of gear in storage in that as well that has you know didn't make it, it it's yeah it i look at it now and like i built myself another shelter this spring i don't need more shelters <laughs> but i had an idea that i wanted to try so you know you I, I can't help it yeah let's just get a feel for this right now how, how many how many backpacks do you have oh i've got two down here right beside me and then another I'd say four four working packs that are you know in good enough condition that I could give to someone. Okay, how many tents slash tarps slash bivvies do you have? Oh, oh, I don't know. At least six. Uh, it's yeah. Again, it's hard to where to draw the line as to what was a failed experiment and or not. I've made a bit of my own gear. And how about sleeping bags slash quilts? That one's not too bad. It's just two. Okay. That's reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Reasonable. <laughs> now, Dylan, where are you from? I'm picking up a bit of a Canadian accent. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Southern Ontario. Southern Ontario. Very nice. Okay. Hey, let's keep talking about gear as we move to our next segment. It's the hiking pole. That's right. It's the hiking pole. And that's pole spelled with two L's like a survey. Not like the things you carry out in your in your hands out on the trail. I like to explain that to all my guests because I think I'm pretty clever coming up with that. I'm all on my own, and their reaction every time is pretty much uh, the same as you have right now—just a kind of a blank <laughs> stare. But uh, we'll leave that as it may, as it may be. 
Now, this is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, one being completely insane to 100 being completely sane. Now, there's an automatic 25-point deduction. We're just going to make that a 15-point deduction today because you earn the bonus points for mentioning Sawyer. Uh, automatic 25-point deduction usually for anybody who's done one or more of the long trail, long trails in America, like the PCT, the CDT, the AT. So highest possible score as of right now is 85 for you. Are you nervous about this? I think I, think I know where I'll sit and I've accepted it. <laughs> okay, very good. Now, is your, is your score for yourself higher or lower than your score from your, your friends and family that they would give you? Oh, no, I'm pretty honest with myself. I think I could gauge what their score for me would be. I mean, they're all very supportive, but if you... If you ask them, like, what do you think of the stuff he does? They'd be like, oh, yeah, he's, he's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number one, fairly easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles out there? Ooh, this is tricky because, like, right from the bat, it's curveball. What about trekking pole, singular? Um, now, Dylan, for, yeah. Dylan we, have, we have two types of guests on the podcast. We have those that fall into the conventional answers, and we have a, the other people that come up with their own answer that is not offered. <laughs> oh, it's not a, a this or that, though. I mean, most of my hiking has been with one pole. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I'd say if someone says, do you use trekking poles? The closer answer is yes, even though it's only one, because I'm not a, a zero trekking pole person. I appreciate the use of, of trekking pole or poles for sure. Um, but for me, I, I started the PCT and, and most hikes after that uh, using a single pole pyramid style shelter. So even though I started with two poles on the PCT, I, uh, I think I broke one of them. I forget. This is a while. This is back in 2014. Um, and, and one pole just seemed to work because I don't know, you, you can still get the stability on water crossings and grab a stick if you really want it. If it's kind of dicey, um, it works to do for my shelter and then having, not having the second one didn't seem to be too bad. And I got a uh, hand free for an umbrella snacking, checking your phone, all that good stuff. So yeah, uh, I've been a one pole guy for, for a while now. But trekking poles are a good thing. If you're, if you're not a user and you're getting into hiking, definitely, uh, yeah, worth checking out. All right. I, I love that, the way you phrase that, that if someone asks you, do you use trekking poles? Yes is the closer answer. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a unique way of putting that. That, that. That's a good turn <laughs> of phrase. All right. So one hiking pole, one trekking pole kind of guy. Yep. Got it. All right. Question. You're doing fine because... We're not, this isn't rapid fire. You're, you're giving some explanation and context for your answer, which always helps me with the scoring. So I appreciate that. Okay. All right. Question number two, what's on your feet, boots or trail runners? Or is there a third option that I have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, some crazy person's going to say like barefoot or something, but I'm, I'm trail runners all the way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. I, I think I earlier before I got into through hiking um, and I did my first overnight hikes, I started off not quite boots, but like hiking shoes, like your Merrill Moabs, that kind of a thing. Like, and the nice thing with uh, those is they actually last more than, you know, four weeks on trail. <laughs> um, but yeah, like lighter, drier, uh, fast drying and all that. Yeah. It's trail shoes all the way. And do you have a specific brand that you prefer? 
Um, I got pretty wide feet. So like the ultras, the topos, anything that like that, I like the natural foot shape. I think that's, that makes sense for, for feet, uh, for shoes, especially if you're going to be like running and putting miles on them. Um, yeah, but I mean, oftentimes for long trails, it comes down to like what's on sale because those things add up. <laughs> that's right. Good, good sale. Never hurt anybody. There you go. <laughs> All right. Question number three, when it comes to your shelter out there, are you a tent guy, tarp, hammock, bivy, or hey, let's just cowboy camp? Tarp. Tarp for me. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll cowboy camp if conditions are clear and reliable. Um, but in general, it's a tarp. I've always been comfortable enough without like the fully enclosed kind of thing. And uh, yeah, and they're just kind of light and simple. And yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've done any trying to think if I've done any long hikes with, with anything different, but no, it's been, uh, it's been tarp or like shaped tarps, right? Something like your Gatewood Cape or your, um, yeah, yeah. Tarp all the way. All right. Another 10 bonus points there. As you mentioned the Gatewood Cape, which is another sponsor, Six Moon Designs. Dylan, you're, you're, you're killing it, man. You're doing great. Now, how far down the rabbit hole have you gone with tarp pitches? Um, do you mean like types of pitches, like for crazy flat tarp stuff? Correct. I never actually owned a flat tarp. Um, so, so from day one, it was shaped. So, so I started, I did the PCT and the CDT and stuff like that with a Gatewood Cape and, and we're, we're just ran that thing into the ground. And then I uh, splurged on a Z-Pax Hexamid, um, like their pocket tarp with the storm doors, like not a tent at all, but that still that same kind of shape. Um, and I did the, the use that one on the Europe hike. We might talk about a bit and, uh, yeah, but I've, I haven't gone down like the whole origami tarp rabbit hole. Although I'm, I mean, I'm the kind of person who would definitely love to, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've lost a few hours on a Saturday, uh, on YouTube doing some research. All right. Question number four, when it comes to your sleep system, a sleeping bag or quilt? Quilt. Yeah. I think quilts just make sense. I, again, I, it's something that I did change. Um, I started the PCT with more of a traditional sleeping bag and it was synthetic. And that was just because I think I had read too much about people saying, oh, in Washington, everything's going to get soaked and, you know, nothing ever dries. And it's like, oh, well, then synthetic seems to make a lot more sense. And and cost wise, it's a little easier. And, and I hadn't really dove headfirst into all this at the time. Um, but yeah, eventually I just realized, oh, okay, if I'm just crushing all the insulation that's just kind of dead weight and then uh and it's more versatile you know kicking a leg out on a hot night so yeah yeah i think i think quilts are the way to go they just make sense at least for three season conditions i don't do a lot of like winter or like mountaineering kind of stuff but maybe the that would change things a little i don't know yeah you could take a a a quilt that's rated to negative 20 but i think they call that a weighted blanket <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or some guys will start like stacking stuff, like a quilt, and then you also have a synthetic bag over top. And but that's that's a little outside my wheelhouse. Smart. All right. Question number five. Very dangerous question here, Dylan. Major point deduction, depending on how you answer. Not even a sponsor uh, mention will will save you on this one. When it comes to your food, stove, cold soak, or stoveless. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I, I remember your feelings on this. Uh, I, I'm safe though. I, I mean, I've done a couple like fast and light trips where you're just gonna like you know live on bars or something. But um, no, I'll, I'll take a stove. I like having a hot meal at the end of the day. Yes, have to have that hot meal. <laughs> All right. Question number six: Is life better above or below the tree line? Oh, above, 
hundred percent. Yeah, that's I mean that that's why I like it's it's not just to see mountains from below, but to be up there in them. Um, yeah, yeah. If there's ever a choice between a low route and a high route, it's it's always the high one as long as you know weather's not a danger and, and all that. Yeah, no, I want to be as high as possible for as long as possible. Ridge walks, all that. That's that's the goal. That's why we're out there. Exactly. All right. Question number seven. Last question in the poll. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Uh, pack weight, I'm going to say. Like if I had to look back on all my trips, sometimes, you know, if, if I'm going for a slower casual thing with friends, then yeah, you, you want to have some fun and, you know, be comfy in camp. But uh, if for, for long trips, yeah, I'll go. I'll, if there's been so too many times now when people look at my pack and even other like through hikers and give you a little side eye for what you're sleeping on or, or the size of your shelter. It's like, okay, I, I know where I sit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so side question here, what, what is your base weight? Um, a longer not, trip. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, nothing really too crazy. I think the, uh, like this past last year, I hiked the GDT, the great divide trail up through the Canadian Rockies. And it would have been like, Oh, I didn't have a scale with me or anything. And I wasn't really like spreadsheeting that whole thing, but it probably was like, I don't know nine or 10 pounds, something in that range. And then PCT, my first hike was like 14, I think 14, 15. And then, then it's been, it like slowly came down from there. Sometimes I had a bit more camera gear. Sometimes I, yeah, but yes, I mean, nothing, nothing in the, I'm not going to be the, in that guy that's carrying around seven pounds of gear. I I just don't think I'm ever going to go that hard. And for a really long hike, I don't know. That seems like there's a lot of conditions that you're trying to cover with that amount of gear for versus an overnight in California where, you know, you're not going to get rained on. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I live. It's like 10 to 12 pounds. I'm super comfortable. Do you cut the extra straps off your packs? I, I have I don't actually for like the waist strap and stuff like that. Um, one of the guys I started the hike with in Europe gave me a little bit of, uh, he grilled me a bit for that. I, he had a term for it too, for like, having those long flappy straps there like <laughs> it was all in fun but it was like that's that's a trail insult isn't it uh i, I wish i could remember what he what he called me for it but yeah he, he did not approve sounds like there's a lot of trail shaming out there <laughs> there's a little bit i mean we were we were good buddies so it's it's i knew where it was coming from but yeah you can definitely you can definitely go there all right. And when you're really going out there, you hit your pace on a long trail. What What is your average daily mileage? These are these are not questions that are factoring into your score. Just curiosity, follow-up questions based on some of your comments. Yeah. I, uh, well, it depends on the trail, right? Like uh, how, how hard the miles are. PCT um, towards, well, PCT, it was nothing crazy. Like 20s to uh, like in the 20 up to 30 range, pretty regular. And then, uh, did a one day, like 24, not 24 hours, more like get up early and just hike really late. How far could we go? And, and hammered out of 52 on the CDT had a plan with a buddy to do some consecutive 37s to catch our friends wanted to go on the anaconda cutoff which was much shorter and we wanted to stick to the normal cdt route but we also still wanted to hike with these people we're like well let's just crunch the numbers if by, that's going to take them x number of days and if we just do five 37s back to back we'll get to the same spot on the trail 
sounds like a plan. So yeah, sometimes when I'm motivated, I'll, I'll hammer it out. But other times it's like 20 somethings. Now that's, that's a lot of trail math right there. I mean, this is not just about walking. You're, you're doing some complex mathematical equations out there. And that's a perfect segue because I'm going to take your answers. I want you to stand by. We need to put them through the, the I almost said John freaking your pod. Um, I'm going to put them through the hiker trash radio algorithm and uh, see if we come up with a score for you. So uh, stand by. I got to carry the two. Going to multiply that by pi. We're going to divide by root five. And we're going to adjust slightly for a broken hiking pole on the PCT. And I come up with a score of 41. Yeah, I, I, I thought it would be closer to the bottom of the uh, of the scale than the top. So well, yeah, it would have been too it would have been 21 because you, you got, you got some bonus points in there. Oh, that's so, right. <laughs> you saved yourself. I mean, the stove is the only thing keeping me in, like away from the single digits at this point. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So nice job there. All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, right on, why don't we back up a little bit? Uh, tell us about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you were involved in as a kid and how did you get involved in the through hiking cult. And I always love to hear about what, uh, what your family and friends think about your endeavors. Yeah. So I uh, grew up in Southern Ontario, about an hour North of Toronto and uh, Southern Ontario is a fairly flat place. We don't really have mountains, um, but we do have a lot of lakes, uh, especially as you move a little further North. So there's a lot of good opportunities for backcountry canoe trips um, there's a place, a provincial park called Algonquin Provincial Park, which is well known and, and really well traveled um, for folks around here. And so, multi-day uh, backcountry uh, back canoeing routes, like people do up in the Boundary Waters and stuff like that in the U.S., um, that's that's a big scene up here. And I had done some of that, uh, like one trip per summer for a few years. So I was, I love the outdoors, and I was used to doing some overnight stuff. Um, but the idea of like long distance hiking in the mountains never really was a thing on my radar, um, until I, in college, um, we would say university, but college for the (laughs) Americans listening. Um, I went to visit a buddy, uh, right at the end of my summer break who had been living and working in Germany at the time. And, uh, and since I was going to be traveling all the way to Europe, I thought, well, there's no point in going there, seeing him and not seeing a little bit of Europe. So I, uh, I took a train down to Switzerland and spent a few days in the Swiss Alps and, uh, just stayed in a hostel. And uh, on one day, just hiked up this mountain that was, you know, just, just out the back door basically. And, and being in that area, and it was actually this, uh, village called Lauterbrunnen, Switzerland. And if you ever, if you're, you're, I, I see I've heard you're, of it. I, I have not been there. I, I want to go there. It is, it seems unreal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And, and really, and that's why I picked it. I just kind of Googled like, Oh, I want to see like, I'm going to Europe. Let's like see some of the nicest natural stuff in Europe and the nicest, like the coolest history stuff. So I spent a few days in the Alps, went down to Rome for a few days, flew home. And my time in the Alps was just like jaw dropping. It's like, and I, I need more of this. So uh, a couple of years later, I did some overnight trips in the Canadian Rockies with my dad and then, uh, and then planned. But by the time I was graduating, I, I had learned about the PCT and, and just knew that okay, I, I've got to give this a shot and see what this is all about. And from there, it was just, I was a goner. 
Nice. Now you mentioned canoeing. I'm curious about that. I've talked to a few people who have done some some serious canoeing uh, adventures. What do you see as the if someone were to ask you what what is the biggest challenge for a, a, a canoeing a multi day canoeing trip versus what is the biggest challenge for a multi day backpacking trip? How, how do those how do those compare? I'd say for. Um... And again, some of this, the details will change depending on the trip, as, as everything always does. Uh, but as a general rule for backpacking, uh, the, uh, the amount of stuff you're carrying has a pretty big impact on your enjoyment because you're just spending so much time on your feet and then all that weight's just on your back. Whereas canoeing, I mean, it's it's just sitting in the boat. So uh, except for the times where you've got to carry your canoe to get past some rapids or to cross over into the next lake when something isn't navigable uh, by the water that's the only time where the weight of your stuff really matters. And if those are just small parts of your trip, then, well, you just make an extra, make an extra trip and carry that like cooler of fresh <laughs> frozen food you've got or, or whatever your luxuries are. Um, you can, you can get, you can carry so much more, right? So it changes the dynamic. You're not so laser focused on everything being really lightweight. Um, but then I'm not sure what the challenges would be. Maybe, maybe you're a little more, exposed to the weather uh canoeing in the rain and like in a in a storm is pretty miserable there's there's no hiding right like you can hike through the trees in the rain and it's not that big of a deal throw on a rain jacket and just keep going but if you're on the water it's uh it sucks (laughs) all right now what are you doing these days to pay the bills how do you finance your your next big adventure yeah, tricky. I, I don't really have much of a career to speak of. Uh, by by training, I should be a high school math and physics teacher. That's my educational background. Um, I did work for a couple of years for an adult education nonprofit, um, like helping people uh, get their GED and like high school equivalency, that sort of a thing. That's what I was doing right before the the big Europe hike to uh, to save up and that. But mostly, it's been more like seasonal and. Uh, when I'm when I'm in Canada, uh, I've got a few things. I've got a bit of a background in the trade, so and I've got some friends and family that are uh, generous enough to take me on when they've got work and projects on the go. And uh, my brother is uh, an arborist as well as a teacher, but in, during the summers he's got a tree business, so I've done work with him throughout the years. Um, I did a season of tree planting a couple of years ago in Northern Ontario. That's a very unique kind of um, job that I think a lot of people haven't heard of. But strangely, I think it's great for through hikers because it's it's piecework. You're outside all day and you just make as much money as like the harder you work and literally the more trees you're, you plant, the more you get paid. So you just plant little six inch seedlings all day, every day for 10 cents a tree and you do a couple thousand of them a day and you go home with 200 bucks in your pocket. So it's uh, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting that, that was an interesting three months of my life. Um but it's, there's no real answer. It's a little bit of this and that, some private tutoring on the side when I feel like it. Yeah. Got it. Well, you know, we have some math and science openings down here in my school district. So, you know, if you're, if you find yourself in Southern California looking for some full-time work, just look me up. Oh, California sounds good, man. That's tempting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you mentioned a brother. How many siblings do you have? Just one, one younger brother. And is he also in the, the outdoor adventure cult? He's, he's certainly outdoorsy. Um, I, I, he's, he hasn't, you know, gone on any, uh, through hikes or anything. Um, but I think, I think he'd be, he'd be into it and I think he'd, he'd be good at it. He's yeah, he's a pretty strong athletic guy. He came out for a week with me for my, uh, during my Europe hike. Um, 
and he was out on those, you know, canoe trips back when we were younger and stuff. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely, we love the outdoors, but uh, the, the extent that I've taken it to is, was kind of unprecedented in my family. Certainly not, not the reason I got into it. Got it. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to pay some bills here from the advertisers. And when we come back, we're going to hear about some of your, your past hikes, including this European hike that you keep referring to. Uh, we'll, we'll label it here as the Trans-European Alpine Route, Correct. Correct. Okay. If, if you are interested in that, stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Now, welcome back. We're talking to Ride On, also known as Dylan Hive- Ivans. And and Dylan, I have to let you know, I don't think you've said Ride On once yet. I'm really disappointed. And I even stopped thinking about it. This is this is actually natural. So maybe it's it's worked its way out of me. I don't know. <laughs> right On. Okay. Um, hey, let, you have a lot of miles under your trail runners. How many miles total do you think you have since you started hiking? Oh, um. Do you keep a running tally? I, I, I kind of keep tally a, them I, up at some point. I think maybe yeah. before, like last year before I did the GDT and it was like, it's got to be like 12 or 13,000 now, something like that. It's in, in that ballpark. Including the trans-European Alpine route? Oh yeah. That's a big chunk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So how old were you when you hit the PCT? 24. 24. Well, I, was, I, was a bit, I turned 24 on trail. Okay. Now, do you remember when you first heard about this trail that they went from Canada to Mexico and realizing yeah. you could walk, walk the entire route? It's, it's always a unique, um, it's, it's an interesting piece of information for me is when people realize that this thing exists. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's eye-opening for sure. I, I was I was researching. I had been in this uh, all through college. I had, at the end of the summer, I, I'd work all summer and then reward myself with a you know the last two weeks were my little vacation before heading back for the next year of school, and uh, and then so I was looking for okay, well, what would be a good awesome hike to do. I was getting more and more into the outdoors and, and one that keeps popping up on my radar is like the JMT, um, right. It's you know, world famous. And, and so it, it was while I was looking at information about the John Muir trail that, you know, you stumble upon, Oh, it overlaps w- with Pacific crest trail. And you, you click that Wikipedia link and what's that. And then your eyes just go wide and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. And, and then it was just, yeah, it kind of fixated on it and decided after college, like that's that's the window, right? You do this now before you get a real job. And little did I know, yeah, here we are. <laughs> now, being from the north, did you start and did you do a southbound or did you did you do the traditional northbound route? Northbound, yeah, because it's like walking home, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, from just, Canada. I'm just walking home. <laughs> just walking home. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> So you're an outdoorsy guy. You sounds like you've had a lot of outdoor experiences, even prior to the PCT. You've had some overnighters, done some smaller trips, or was the PCT your first attempt at overnight backpacking? I had done, yeah, I had done some overnighters, and I, but the longest I had done, honestly, as a backpacking trip would have been three days. Um, was the Skyline Trail, which is up in the Canadian Rockies um, in Jasper National Park. Beautiful. But I, yeah, I did that. I had done that years prior when I was out there with my dad doing some hiking. And uh, uh, yeah, the PCT was a, definitely a, a next level step up. I think you skipped a couple levels. Go from go from three days to how, how long did it take you? Um, I think 100, 142, 145, something like that. It was just like a four and a half months. Yeah, that you skipped a couple of levels there, yeah. Dylan. But Sorry. but it's yeah, I, I agree. I, I, you're not wrong, but at the same time, for anyone like considering something like the PCT, you if you really just think of it as a bunch of four or five day trips stacked at one after each other, like that's that's all it is. It's you got to be able to your body has to keep up with that, but like you you can not break it down into those chunks, and it's like okay, suddenly that seems you know it's reasonable. You know, that, that is one of the big lessons that we talk about occasionally on the podcast here is, is the power of incremental progress and breaking things up into breaking huge challenges into small sections, sections, right? If you, if you get up, you break camp, you, you walk to the next campsite, you set up camp, you eat, you go to sleep, you get up and you do that again. You do that 141 times in a row and, and you're done, right? Basically. That's it. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so even though you, you've only done three days before this uh yeah it's just a a a, a series of what a series of about 50 three-day trips and you're yeah. you're, you're yeah. good <laughs> and so what were your expectations going in um i i i definitely i liked i'm someone who likes to dive in and do a lot of research for for stuff like this um so i had i had read you know as much as i thought i could i think my gear was fairly dialed i wouldn't say like i i, I it's not like i nailed it first try but i also wasn't looking at my pack thinking of all the mistakes i had made um you know a few weeks in or something so uh it, but you really just can't or you you can't you can research it and you plan and you prepare yourself as much as you as as possible but then you actually get there and it's just and then you're just in it so it's, it's a pretty surreal feeling. I remember like getting dropped off at the border and you're like, okay, here we go. Like, 
like, do I know what I'm doing? And then you just start walking and the first couple of days go by and you're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're walking. All right. And then you just roll with it. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's a couple of different types of people. I hate to categorize people, but they, they fall into some categories. Sometimes you have your planners, you have people that really do a deep dive and doing planning for all the logistics and doing your research is like half the fun of a big hike for some people. I mean, they really, really get into it. Uh, and there are others who uh, either they they travel with somebody who is a big planner and they don't have to worry about it, or they just kind of, you know, they, they kind of just flow and and take things as they come. Sounds like you're yeah, a big planner. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm a planner, um, but I also like to plan or to at least to be, uh, go into something informed enough and, and with good enough idea so that I'm not stressing about the unknowns, right? Like, I feel like I'm still in control and, you know, I've got things figured out. I, I still want there to be surprises and there's going to be on something oh, yeah. this big, but yours. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's better to, to at least know what you're getting into. <laughs> now, 2014, was that a big snow year or was it like low, low snow year? Low I got snow off super year. easy on the PCT, especially like looking at some of the pictures from this year um, for 2023. It's, I mean, even 2011 was a bad year. I'm pretty sure. I think 17 uh, were some other high snow years. And, I, and I, in further future trips, I was talking to some other hikers and you, that you come across on other long trails, CDT and whatever, and and you, you just swap stories, and it's just crazy the difference that makes. I think I had two two stream crossings that I where I actually had to get my feet wet, where I couldn't just rock hop or you know, and and anyone that hiked on a normal year or, or you're obviously for a high snow year they're telling me about when they were holding their pack above their head crossing evolution creek and it's like i i'm sorry <laughs> i didn't have to do that <laughs> yeah what are the implications for pct hikers this year with snowmageddon having taken place in california yeah i mean i'm, I'm pretty far removed from it now so I, I just get the little trickles in from social media and stuff but with the snowpack they had over this winter and this spring um i mean um, the water crossings the runoff has just got to be insane out there so I, I have no idea what that's the thing that well water crossings in like a big raging spring melt torrent obviously danger of getting swept off your feet and there you go and um but even like when you've still got a bunch of lingering snow and you're crossing on snow bridges then you want to be confident that that is good right I, I can't imagine something the only thing worse than falling losing your footing i would imagine on a stream crossing is going through a snow bridge and being under snow in <laughs> i don't know like this is i don't want a fear monger i'm sure people are being reasonable and maybe i'm overblowing it but these are what come to mind for, from someone who got off easy on like a very low snow year so yeah i hope everyone's uh, staying safe out there yeah, this might be a two trekking pole season, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And snowshoes, like yeah. all, the whole lot. <laughs> That's right. Hey, what, what were some of the highlights from your PCT trip? Um, yeah, I think I think I look back on the PCT with like just rose colored glasses the whole way because it was my first long hike, right? So everything was just it, it's just an amazing experience. Um, Oregon and Washington are standouts. I mean, obviously, like California was was great too, the Sierra and stuff, but I, I fell in with like a, a really good group. Um, 
through Oregon and Washington and we're just having a lot of fun because it's the people are, are so much of a part of the experience, right. And what you remember. Um, so that was great. And yeah, I, the two guys that I hiked that 52 mile day with, that was just surreal. That was a, a big moment of not just doing the PCT, but doing something like that where you're like, okay, I mean, walking all day. Now I know I can do it day after day, but conceptually like, yeah, I figured, okay, I, I'm probably capable of walking all day. You're putting in a two, 20 mile day and, and stacking those is, you know, it's, it's more than other people are used to, but it doesn't seem impossible. Whereas you go and like throw down a 52 and you're like, Oh, I didn't know my legs had that in them. And then you can still move the next morning. This is, this is crazy. Uh, it's one of those things where you just keep pushing the levels of what you thought you knew you were capable of. And then, uh, yeah, so that, that's just a pretty special feeling in itself. So that was a really cool day. Yeah. 52. That's two marathons. That was the reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> even, even walking, even walking a marathon, right. You're going to be, you're going to be sore the next day. That's a lot of walking to do that twice and then get up and be able to hike the next day. I, I, that's, that's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. As eye opening, thankfully we did it into like, we, we camped at the start of it to give ourselves exactly 52 miles to the road where we were going to hike into into town so we knew we had days off ahead of us we just in case right we didn't know how that was going to go um but yeah you get up and you you expect to be stiff or, or to not even be able to get up and then you're like oh this is this is not terrible i mean i i'm glad i'm taking a day off but yeah yeah it's it was, it's cool all right from that 2014 pct hike uh best trail magic oh Best trail magic on the PCT. Probably, probably the first trail magic that I hit was because um, I didn't expect to see it so early. There was, um, it was right kind of more or less on trail, uh, trail angel, Mike, um, like he, he's got a property just off the trail, or at least he did. I don't know if that's still a thing anyway, short detour. And, and he wasn't even there at the time, but there were signs and stuff to just walk around the back and you open these coolers and they're full of, like uh sodas and beer just on ice and you're you know you're i forget what it is 100 miles into the southern california section so the I, the thought of like cold sweet drinks is just it's exactly what you're craving and that was just uh yeah i'm sure there was so much other magic that i'm i'm forgetting but that first experience was like i can't believe people just do this for you do you think mike's neighbor was just pulling a prank on him <laughs> just putting the signs up yeah oh, i hope so that'd be hilarious <laughs> it's pretty far out there but yeah that'd be a funny <laughs> twist all right and then also from your your pct hike most memorable hitch on the pct we had uh, a guy that uh, yeah we had uh, a, a hitch down to trout lake in washington where uh my buddy was just kind of he had, he had talked to this guy up at the pass or on the road and it was just like flag waving us over and then it, it the guy had offered kind of one lift for just a few of us but it turned and and then he wheeled that into getting us to stay on his property and by the by the end of the night there was like a dozen hikers there it was it just kept going and going and going so it all started with that one hitch um yeah so that, that was a crazy time yeah you give a hiker an inch they take a mile oh yeah that's right. All right. Okay. So you, you, how much later did you do the CDT? So the CDT was in 2016. So two years later, but, the, but it was CDT was actually, um, 
immediately after my time in New Zealand, uh, hiking Te Araroa. So I, I, I did those exactly like back to back. So I was in uh, New Zealand for the their summer, but uh, the North American winter of 1516, and then finished that in March, I think. And then in April, started the CDT northbound uh, of 2016. Wow. So how many months in a row were you on trail? Nine, I think, wow. like four, four or so for New Zealand and then five and a bit for the CDT, something nine or 10. Yeah. That's a serious commitment to the trail. No wonder you're unemployed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the legs looked great. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, let's, let's not skip over the, the TA. And I know it's, it's a bit redundant to say the TA because I think the T and TA stands for the in, in, in the Aboriginal language of New Zealand. So, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, tell us about your time on the TA. I'm so glad you, it's funny because I probably would have called you on it. I'm always calling people out on that. <laughs> so I'm glad you just, you know, up right up front. Hey, yeah, hey, hey, right on. You're not my first TA hiker I've talked to. Believe me. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. New Zealand's a beautiful country. Um, I, so I started at the North, I was hiking southbound started at, at the north end uh but about three weeks into it i had i think i just started too too hard too fast uh and all the beach walking doesn't help um anyway i developed a stress fracture in my uh, right foot and so i had to take some time off and then uh my friends who i'd met along the way kept going and i was really lucky that i actually my a, a good friend of mine from back home his sister had been living and had married a Kiwi and was in Auckland. Um, so I had a connection there and they actually put me up at their place for a couple of weeks while I was trying to stay off my feet. So I did that for, I, I kind of just bed rest and on the couch for two weeks to try and let, it, let my feet heal as, foot heal as much as possible. And then I joined by that time, the people I'd hiked with had reached the point of the trail where it turns into a river and you have to, get a kayak or rent canoes or something and wind your way down the river. And I thought, well, I don't need my feet for that. So I, I uh, bust and hitched to catch up with those, those guys and jumped in and paddled with them for a week down the Wanganui. And then by the time we got to the end of that, I was like, well, it's only been like three or four weeks and you're supposed to give it five or six for a stress fracture. So I shouldn't be hiking yet. So I bought a used mountain bike and then cycle tour just pedaling on the heel of my foot. So I wouldn't put any weight on the front of my foot for the next two weeks and kind of paralleled where they were hiking and, and did some really easy tentative hikes into the mountains now and then to meet up with them and say hi and give them a little, little trail magic and stuff, but otherwise just cycle tour down the bottom of the South uh, North Island. And then by the time we were ready to switch to the South Island where there's, I wouldn't say all the best scenery, but the better concentration of good scenery. Um, I figured I was healed up enough to keep hiking and, and yeah, I mean, all good. No, uh, no re-injuries. So it worked out. Nice. Now it's kind of a mixed bag as you, as you described on, uh, on the TA, sorry. Um, you, you got the beach and there's a lot of road walking as well. Correct. Yeah. In yeah, some, in some parts. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then the, the other, the other part of it is you're like in Lord of the Rings territory where it's just absolutely beautiful and majestic. So it's kind of an interesting trail. Yeah. Lots of extremes for sure. All right. So you come back from, uh, New Zealand, and you hit the CDT, northbound or southbound? Northbound. 
northbound. Now, I've heard some pretty funky things about New Mexico, the New Mexico start to the CDT in terms of water sources, in terms of uh, probably back then, it was probably, you know, it, it was not a, as well established a trail as it is now. And even now it's not that well established. But back in 2016, I had to imagine there, there'd be some some wayfinding involved in your in your hike. Yeah, the first 80 miles was basically posts of uh, just posts in the desert and not close enough together that you could always see them. You kind of had, it, it was somewhere in between. I think maybe 10 years before I did it, it would have been like map and compass or GPS navigation. Whereas when I did it, you could see a post and or at least see the footprints take off in a certain direction as you're leaving the marker. And then the trails just split and disappeared immediately to nothing. And, but then as you found the other one and approached it, you'd see them all weave you know, back to get fork back together and, and converge to that next post. And then you lose it again. And it's this just all day and you're just in cactus sand country. And then you're just hiking from cache to cache where they've got boxes in the desert with water caches that are maintained. And without those, I don't know what you, I, I should, caveat this with uh, from the this is from the monument that i started at there's i don't know if there's still as much variation but there was two or even three people three places that people would start at the southern terminus just because of how easy it was to access and the issues we're talking about before i guess they had a real established trail cache system in place starting from that monument that be pretty intense so but it was great it was uh, coming from new zealand there were some sections where you're doing navigation not really navigation but like you had to be comfortable cross country with without a single track in front of you so that wasn't I, i i wasn't too worried about that it was definitely a shift doing it in that type of environment though where you there's just no water so the uh the risk of or at least the consequences of getting totally lost are a little more severe yeah so did you have a map and a compass or how did you deal with that uncertainty? I carried physical maps for the PCT, never looked at them. I carried physical maps from physical maps, excuse me, for at least the start of the CDT, but this was right around the time uh where gut hooks was just becoming ubiquitous. So I think I switched to that pretty early on on the CDT and was looking at my maps so infrequently and, and was hiking um, with a group. So it became, okay, well, if my phone dies or breaks or something, I'm not completely out of luck here. I would just, you know, go along with the rest. Of the, I'll just buddy up until the next town where I could fix it or something. So that again, it can be reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. CDT is another trail with uh, different personalities. I mean, you've got the desert at the beginning, but then you get into the San Juans and you get into Wyoming and uh, Montana. Uh, any any great memories from those those portions of the trail as well? Yeah. Oh, they're, they're all incredible. Um, we did a, in Wyoming, there was a big one, a big alternate we did. That was kind of, at the time, it was a very unofficial alternate. Like it was so big that it wouldn't really appear on God Hooks or, or now far out where, but I think a lot of people are aware of it and often do it where you veer really far west and uh, um, right after the winds and, and head up north through the Tetons. So you're not on the divide anymore, but the terrain you're going through is just a lot more interesting. And you're, you're, why would you miss out on that whole, you know, really noteworthy mountain range if, if you could, uh, you know, 
link up to it. So, so we did that, which was really cool. Cause I think it was almost like 200 miles where we weren't on the CDT, even though we still considered that we were hiking the CDT, but it's gotten that nature to it where it's like, it's a choose your own adventure. You're just staying on the spine of the Rockies and getting Mexico to Canada. Fantastic. Any big animal sightings in Wyoming or Montana? Um, I, I'm pretty sure I saw a couple bears, but it was always, it was like ideal bear encounters, like buddy up the trail points over there and you're like, Oh yeah, there's a bear over on the side of that hill doing his thing. And you just look at it for a while and you're far enough away that they don't mind you. You don't mind them. And then you just move on. So I've had some fun, well, some more noteworthy, uh, interesting bear encounters, but it's not on the, they weren't on the CDT. And I should mention that the CDT was when I got the idea for the Europe hike that we'll uh, that we'll get to. That was that was definitely born on the CDT. Um, okay, yeah. Where where was the the bear encounter or the more interesting bear encounters? Um, a good one on the PNT, which was the next uh, trail I did after the CDT. It was the uh, the following summer, and then last year on the Great Divide Trail, um, I had another. Uh, heart pounder yeah just an up, up close encounter where you surprised each other yeah yeah thankfully the, the one last summer the uh the grizzly the first time i realized it was even there was the sound of it running off so thankfully it was running in that direction but it was close it was just below the trail just kind of like munching on berries and i must have been like looking to the left and he was on the right kind of a thing um, and it was at dusk. So like they're kind of active and moving around and, and past the time, probably when most hikers are, were moving because I needed to put in some pretty long days through this section to hit my reservations. The GDT is notoriously bad for logistics because you're going through all these really popular national parks and competing for whatever campsites are left over from all the other tourists. Um, so you either book it right away at the beginning of when, when the reservations open up or you just kind of piece together something from the scraps of what reservations are left. And uh, yeah, so I had to do like back to back 30 mile days through this spot and it was late at night and I'm just like trying to get to camp moving fast, should have been making more noise. And uh, yeah, and sure enough, I I spooked a grizzly, thankfully went the other way, but it was uh, the size of it running away. I was kind of, yeah, counting my blessings. Yeah. Spooking grizzlies doesn't always turn out uh, well. No, it's not what I want to be. It's not the way I want to encounter a bear out there. All right. I think we've held our listeners in suspense long enough. Let's get to the the main item here, the Trans-European Alpine Route, also known as, is it pronounced tear or tear? I, I've been calling it the tear. I think tear is the sad, tear. whereas the yeah, tear right. is, you know, it's, it's intense. It's tough. Yeah, it's, it's going to tear something. I, I bet you. <laughs> So tell us, I mean, this is, this is not an established route. This is that you can't, can you look it up on Wikipedia or, or on, on the, on the internet and find anything substantial about the tear? So I've got a blog that has all the information about it, like all the logistics, all the GPS tracks, water sources, resupplies, everything. Like you can, you can go on my blog and find this and go and hike this next year if you want. And in fact, people have hiked it last year and there are some people hiking it this year. So it's, it's become in very small circles, an established idea at the very least, but it's absolutely not official. It it was me on the CDT thinking, okay, I've I've hiked across countries and I'm doing it again. This is awesome. It's something I enjoy. I like being in the mountains and pushing myself. 
would it be possible to walk across an entire continent staying in the mountains, like as a hike, as a through hike, something that's worth doing scenically and that sort of idea, but that crosses an entire continent. And, and, and so that was kind of the idea that popped in my head one time, one day on the CDT. And then I just started scanning Google maps and stuff, looking literally just at continents and where the mountains are. And immediately was like, okay, North America, South America would be possible. You can like see the chain of mountains, but it's like way too big. You'd never finish it in a year. And, and if you're hiking through winter, like that's mountaineering, like that's not what was in my mind. And like Asia, same idea. You can like look at like the Himalayas and everything like East, West, you can see mountains, but too big, way too big. Africa, not really as continuous as mountains, still way too big. So you're left with Australia and Europe. Australia, the idea of like crossing the outback was like, no, I'd <laughs> see. And also not nearly, well, too flat, right? Uh, and But Europe, if you look at it and look at it east-west, you can, it, it squeals up a little bit as it arcs over the Mediterranean and stuff through the Alps, but you can see mountainous terrain east and west crossing the whole continent. And I was like, okay, well, that's where you do it. And it's Europe. So there's lots of people, lots of towns and villages, like resupplying seems like it would be possible. You're never that remote. There should be a route here that makes sense. And then at the same time, there's it's so inhabited that there are so many established hiking routes that I, I started really digging in later, of course, once the CDT was finished and and piecing together something from established um, long trail networks in different areas and just kind of jigsawing them together and, and connecting the dots. And then the the current iteration, I guess, of, of the tear is is what I came up with. And I and then I hiked it in 2019. Okay, so you you put it together. You 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 did this survey from Google Maps, put it together, and then you actually went out and hiked it. Yeah. And how long did it take you? Uh, uh, seven months. It was two hundred and it's either a day. I think a day under seven months, something like that. Okay, and That's give long us, one. yeah, that is. And give us the details on the the route specifics. How long was it? How many countries? How many mountain ranges? Etc. Yeah, so it's it's just under four thousand miles. Um, crosses through. Oh, geez, if I get this wrong, I'll never forgive myself. I want to say it's fourteen countries. One sec, I have to double check this. I, I checked your blog. It was it is fourteen countries. It is okay. okay yes, thank goodness. You spot on. Wait, no. Oh no, I got sixteen here. I'm looking at sixteen. Oh, you better update the blog. Well, and this is the thing. I'm looking at I just a, a book that I grabbed. I, I'm going to double check this now because 14 seemed right in my mind. Um, and, and the other thing is while I'm looking this up, it, it crosses or, or like basically traverses six major mountain ranges or mountain systems. And, and that basically created the structure, the general structure that, that those were what I was looking at when I just thought, okay, this will work. So it is 16, 16, 16. countries. There's a couple small ones in there that some people might say, like, they don't count, like Liechtenstein. Yeah, you walk across Liechtenstein, but like anyone can do that in like an afternoon. So, <laughs> but hey, it's a country, it counts. That's right, it counts. <laughs> uh, yeah, just under 4,000 miles, lots of vertical. Um, I've got some fun stats about that, actually. The, uh, so the length of the trail is very, very similar to the distance from the surface to the center of the earth. So I just like to think about that. <laughs> and yes, then the, it's like the radius, the radius of the earth. Yeah. 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 Is roughly that long uh-huh. uh, or that far. And then 
the amount of vertical, it ends up being like 27 Everests or so from sea level. Um, but that becomes kind of abstract too. Like I don't, that's a lot of them and I don't really, I've never climbed on Everest. Most people will never, you know, how big is that? Another thing that I came across that was really cool was the total cumulative vertical is about two thirds. If you add it all up, the orbital height of the international space station. (laughs) So again, I don't really have an intuitive idea of how high that is. But when I think of it like that, it seems suddenly like a whole lot. Seems like a lot. Yeah. 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 Very good. Now I started, um, I started on the east side of eastern side of Europe on the coast of the Black Sea in Bulgaria and then headed west. Um, So I'll just run through them real quick. Uh, Bulgaria, Serbia, North Macedonia, Kosovo, Albania, Montenegro, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Croatia, Slovenia, Italy, Austria, you're kind of right in between them for a while, and then into Switzerland, and then France, and then Spain should be the full rundown. Wow. Wow. Any problems? I mean, in, when you're doing one of the long trails in America, I mean, you're, you're in the same country. And any problems crossing borders as a, a hiker doing that trail? So I didn't have any any problems crossing borders. Again, that comes with yeah, being the privilege of coming from North America, right, where our passports can get us pretty much anywhere. So that's going to be different for, for depending on where you live and where you're from. Uh, thankfully, like, yeah, the Canadian passport, North America, uh, American passports, um, they open a lot of doors. So that was all good. The tricky thing, though, is is the the main Western central area of Europe. All those countries have an agreement that they basically have shared borders. Once once you're in there, once you land and one of them lets you in, you pass through country to country and and there's no checkpoints. Right. It's like being traveling in between states or, or in between provinces up in here in Canada. So. That's great for hiking in the mountains and crossing from this country to that country because that's where the mountain range goes and that's where the hiking trail goes. Wonderful. But the problem is they also have shared limitations on how long you can be in those countries as a group, like as a whole. And it actually, and that that changed this year because they added Croatia to the mix. So that means you've got all a whole extra pile of miles that you, you have to complete within this certain time window. And it's actually... For non-Europeans, it's making it basically impossible to do in one shot. You'd have to like have a crazy flip-flop schedule or just knock it off in like two chunks. So for example, there's a couple of Americans doing it this year that are they're just planning to spend do like half of it. And they'll come back next year and and knock the rest off. So that is that's unfortunate. But um there's actually been more interest in it from Europeans, which kind of makes sense. That's where they are. Right. Now I have to imagine that you didn't just uh, create new trails that maybe there are some existing trails that you've linked together. Absolutely. Yeah. This was totally uh, what is out there and how can I map, piece them together? Right. Yeah. I, I, there was one stretch um, where there was kind of nothing in place. And, and again, it's, I'm from half a world away. I'm not going to be able to create anything or get an idea even of where these local paths are. Right. Sometimes there's stuff that exists to get, it's like the origin of these paths, right? It was for the shepherds to get over to the next valley. It, was, it wasn't just for, you know, to go for a nice stroll. Um, so some of this stuff isn't even mapped, um, even though it does exist. And, and I, there's, there were limits to how much uh, I, could, I could plan into that. So that's this one section, which you hit 
fairly early on and you pass through all these countries rapid fire. This is a lot of the Balkan countries like Serbia into North Macedonia, into Kosovo, into Albania. Um, there's not a established long trail to use through that section. And you have to pass through all these countries from one to the next at established border crossing spots. So it means you have to be on a road, right? That's, that's where the border crossings are. So, it, so there's some road walking there and you just have to grind it out. Um, but then, but then after that, you go onto the Via Denerica, uh, and then you get into the Alps and it's, you know, it's, it's good stuff. Do you have a favorite section of the, uh, the tear? Um, I'd say the most beautiful or is definitely like in section, um, air quoting that if I want to say something like the Alps, that's like a thousand mile section. <laughs> like a, a small piece, just a small yeah, piece. Yeah. yeah um the alps just in general are massive they're just beautiful mountains and the trails through there and the history like it's it's just great um the pyrenees as well so that's the border between france and spain um those are also incredible those are the standouts for sure but then the via denerica was was a very unknown thing in my mind I, i think a lot of people have an idea of when you say the alps that that conjures some images even the pyrenees people that have looked into hiking in in europe they they may have seen that name come up before but if you talk about the Dinaric Alps or like the mountains of Bosnia, at least for me going into this, I had like Bosnia in my mind was just like a placeholder in bad movies about like impoverished war-torn countries, right? Like this was the stereotype that I had in my mind. And then I get there and the wilderness is just beautiful. Um, so that, that's a really cool area too, is, is going out through some of those countries. Nice. Now, did you ever find yourself, you know, Seven months, 4,000 miles. Was there ever a time where you, you thought to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? What am I doing? Yeah. the uh, So I started it with two buddies who were uh, who I had met on, separately on different long distance trails. And I knew they were both badass hikers and everything. And, and I was so happy that I had like kind of a team to, to do this with because I, I wanted to do it. And, uh, and I was planning originally when the, the thought came up of attempting it myself, but and then I these two guys said, like, if you're serious, like I'm, I'm in, this sounds awesome. Um, and they, and they joined me for the, the first two months. And then a couple weeks after one another, they both decided to bow out. Um, and that was fine. I mean, like the, we had never, you know, made any oaths or promises. It was, it was, we're all doing this ourselves. And, uh, so there no hard feelings or anything, but the, the, day that the second of them left and I realized I was on my own, that was a big mental kind of, uh, that, that, that day was a big mental day, just kind of figuring out like, okay, am I going to go through with this? Like, this is another, I knew it was going to be roughly a seven month trip. So this is the next five months solo. And it's not the PCT or, or the CDT where you're going to come across other hikers and join up. Like it will be just me. Um, you, you'll meet people in the huts. You'll be, you'll say hi to someone over the trails, but like, you will not at the end of this trip, there will be no one I can go to and talk about experiences, right? They will be just mine. Am I, am I good with that? And, and thankfully that, that day, like that very day where, uh, where my second buddy uh, decided to, to hitch out the, in the morning of, I went into this beautiful mountain, like p- protected area in the mountains and ran into a group of guys, Serbian guys, on, all the while I was in Montenegro or Bosnia. I don't, right at the border between them, I think. They were there doing a bachelor weekend for one of the guys, 
just do a boys weekend. This is one of their events was just going out to the mountains. And, and there was this little hut where the guy checked your, he took not attendance. What am I saying? He's, he's checking uh, that you have your pass for the park, right? Not quite a ranger. This is very more, very informal, but he's also bringing them shots. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's great. And they're a bunch of nice guys. And, uh, and I hike out with them at the, at the end of the afternoon. And then lo and behold, as like we part ways, they not only do they give me a beer to like one for the road kind of a thing. Um, so I've got like a cold can of beer to have by dinner. By the time we get to the trailhead where they're walking off, I see in the distance in the direction I need to go, like a nice ridge with a fire tower on it. And that, that's like a you know 20 minute walk away. It's like, oh, well, that's where I'm sleeping tonight, obviously. And it just it was a beautiful sunset. And it, it really just set my mind at like, okay, this is going to be okay. Like it, it'd be great to be doing the whole trip with those guys, but like, I'm, there's going to be awesome experiences and and it makes it all worth it. And like, it was just reaffirmed all that for me. And I think that was a, had a pretty big impact on my mind for like deciding to press on with everything. So that was, that was a big moment. That is very fortunate. That fire tower was waiting for you. Oh yeah. Nice. Nice. Now you, you mentioned huts. Uh, So on the established trails, I'm sure there was a hut system. Did you also do a lot of tent camping in the kind of the non-established areas? Oh yeah. I wild camped like pretty much the whole trip. Um, the only time I wasn't wild camping was if I was in an area like a national park that I had researched beforehand that explicitly has a rule about no wild camping. So you stay at the mountain huts or, or sometimes there are even uh, unmanned shelters. Um, not quite like, not like an, as basic as like an AT shelter or something, but more like the ones people talk about in New Zealand a room fully enclosed. No one's there checking anything. You just leave it as good as better than you found it. And and the local trail community usually takes care of it. That There was a fair bit of that, especially through um, the Via Denerica and things like that. But even still in the Alps and the Pyrenees, there's mountaineers kind of basic huts. So, so those are great when I found them. Otherwise I would wild camp. Okay. And take us through your state of mind that uh, you were in when you, you got into Spain, seven months later, 4,000 miles later, and you finish the the trip. What what what's what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Well, it's f- funny. So I'll, so Spain's still a big part of the trip. It's the last country. But when I first stepped foot, well, I finished the Pyrenees. Let's say that was the last hurdle. Get clear of the Pyrenees before the winter snows come in. And so a lot of people that have hiked the PCT or the CDT, uh, they'll be familiar with that idea, right? If you're soboing either of those trails, you, you clear the Rockies or the Sierra by a certain date and then the rest of the trail is fine you're just kind of going through the motions right if you were southbounding and once you get to southern california you're probably fine i mean you got san jacinto and stuff but yeah or new mexico so so it was like that like i cleared the pyrenees just in time i had one little snow flurry along the way woke up with a couple inches on the ground but didn't stick around so that was fine and then i get clear of that and i've got to go across northern spain where there's still like mountainous terrain but it's definitely not at the level that i just passed and so that's when it hit me that's like, I, I still have a month of hiking left to do and all the best scenery is behind me and it's no, it's almost November. So it's just going to be cold and rainy <laughs> Northern Spain. That's like, you're getting into their winter, but it's so close to the ocean that they won't get, except in the highest elevations, they don't get a ton of snow, but it's still wet and cold. And that was actually the toughest mental side of things was finishing out that last month across Spain, knowing that all the best scenery was now behind me, but I still had like almost a month or thousand kilometers to cover. 
um, to grind out. But the really nice thing was I met some guys. I met one guy in particular uh, very early on when I briefly overlapped one of the Camino routes, the really popular one that starts right. in that same area, runs yeah. across northern Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I met him and he was a former through hiker. He had AT, PCT, and he was planning on doing that. He had done the PCT that earlier that very summer, and he was just trying to stay in shape over kind of through the off season to hike the CDT the next year. And so we connected instantly, but then parted ways. But I kept in touch with them just over uh, Instagram, I think, as I, as I, my route, which is more mountainous than the Camino, because that was the whole point of the route, but it's, it's like stay in the mountain the whole time. As we, I was coming back down and we were going to intersect again, because I did finish this whole hike on one of the Camino routes, because the mountains disappear as you get to northwestern Spain. And that route, those walks are so iconic that I figured that it just makes sense to end nice. with all the pilgrims there. Uh, yeah, we, we arrived at Santiago de Compostela like the same day or maybe me the day after him. Um, and then the last three days we hiked from that city, which is the traditional end of that hike, but there's kind of an extension that a lot of people do that goes right to the the coast. Right. And he was doing that. The people he was hiking with were going to do that. So I had the company of other long distance walkers, even though our stories weren't identical, you still had that like camaraderie though, to to finish that out. So that was, that was huge for me to finish out with them and, uh, with with a bit of a team and, and to be able to share that, right. Because they appreciated, we all appreciated what we were we're doing and, and could do that together. So yeah, it was, it was great. Awesome. Like, like most things in life, most things that are worth doing, there's, there's going to be low points, uh, but you have to, you have to find a way to work through those low points and the payoff is usually there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the feeling of standing at, at, at sunset, looking over the Atlantic ocean, thinking that I just, I just walked across a whole continent to get here. Yeah, you, you remember the tough times, but it, but it also just like starts to melt away, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was wild. That's right. Hey, what what's next for Dylan? What's the next big adventure? Right on. I've got some plans for this fall. Um, I'm, I th- I'm it's still tentative, but I'm thinking either PCT Washington or the Colorado Trail. Probably just going to see what's doing better in terms of the fire season, because um, they're about the same length. I, I want to do. Um, and I've done both of them like more or less on the PCT and then through the CDT, but love them both. And I would love to go do them again. Um, and then jump over to Southern Utah and do the Hey Duke. Um, and then, and then once I get to the Arizona border, I actually haven't announced this uh, at least publicly on the interwebs. I've told some, some friends, but I'm, then I'm thinking uh, a southbound Arizona trail FKT attempt um, unsupported. So like doing a 20, probably three, four day food carry and just going full insanity, um, pain cave on it. So that's the rough plan. We'll see if I, this sounds like a good idea as it gets a little closer, but yeah. All right. Well, I need, you've now published that out to the world for everybody (laughs) to hear. Yeah, see, so yeah, there's pressure on you now to, to do that. So after you successfully complete the Hey Duke and set the FKT on the AZT, <laughs> you need to come back on the podcast and and share what those experiences were like because those are those are like a, you know additional. I like the way you put it, pain caves. That's a, a that's a great <laughs> way of looking at it. So will you come back on, Dylan? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Good. Good. All right. Hey, right on. You know where we are right now. Oh, is it tip time? 
Hiking Hacks. Bingo, you know where you are. It's time for Hiking Hacks, uh, where you get to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make your next outdoor experience even better. So what do you have for us? Okay, so the Sawyer Squeeze. The I think a lot of people like the reliability and the simplicity of it, but the 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 one knock they'll give it is just having to squeeze the damn bottle. But ever since the P, the CDT, I'd say, is when I started doing this, I've been trying to preach the word, but apparently I haven't got it out. It's the Sawyer Sit. You get your one and a half liter water bottle of your your dirty water bottle. You fill that up and you throw your filter on it and you just find a little chunk of grass, hill or a smooth rock, rock or a log. And you just sit on it with the filter pointing forward between your legs. Then you use one of your free hands to just hold your clean water bottle. Now you've got the other hand free to like check your phone or eat a snack or something. And there's zero effort. Like you just sit on it and it filters and it's just it's effortless it just seems like a a no-brainer and then probably if you start with like a one and a half liter you'll get your 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 one liter smart water or whatever you're using about half full on one good sit and then you just hop up twist it off like burp it right let the air back in round two and then the thing's full in in like no time and you you don't have you don't have to do anything um so i just yeah i I give it a shot so your sit the one problem is um from the right or wrong angle, it looks exactly like you are just peeing into a bottle that you, <laughs> that you'll just take a nice refreshing drink from moments later. Um, yeah, so it, it can be a little awkward, especially if you're doing that like on a day use trail kind of a thing. Um, but I mean, the trade off is just like you'll never have to, unless you're in camp and already like sitting in your sleeping bag or something. You never actually need to squeeze a bottle again. You just you just sit. And who cares what it looks like? You got to do what you got to do, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like those moments, right? Like, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You wait for someone to give you a weird look and then you like, well, as soon as they walk by, you just have a chuckle with your, your buddy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what they were thinking. <laughs> Excellent hiking hack. Thank you there, Dylan. So there you have it. We're just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Right On. And you know what? I have said Right On way more than you. I don't, you haven't said it once other than explaining what the trail name is. So congratulations there. Thank you. And I want, I want to thank him also for joining us this week. Dylan, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah. So my blog that has all the info about the tear, the Trans-European Alpine route is uh, mountainsandme.ca. Um, yeah, Canada. And then my Instagram is mountains.andme. And uh, that's probably all you need. Okay. Remember to check out Hiker Trash Radio on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. No TikTok yet, uh, right on? No, I have, I'm not that with it. I'm not hip. Yeah, me either, but I, I try. <laughs> and it, if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So right on, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book or a movie or a documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. What do you have for us? So this is, uh, I'm going to nerd out a little bit right here. Um, So for anyone, in some context, with the Arizona trail thing, the food weight, as you can imagine, is such a big factor. 
So I've been taking a deep dive into like nutrition and calorie caloric density and all that good stuff. And the best resource for this, if you're like hardcore, want to, this is going to like decrease your insanity scale by like a good, you just watch this and you're down 10, 15 points, I'm sure. Um, But yeah, the YouTube channel Gear Skeptic has a whole video series of like going right into this stuff and what how to like knock that food weight down if that's something you want to focus on even as a video on how to get choose foods that are more compact if you know you're going to be in an area that's like bear cans and you're like oh how do i make it all fit like for me this was like super useful stuff as i'm making these preparations so anyone else is that's thinking like fkt kind of stuff maybe and they want to optimize next level nerd out some of their trail math gear skeptic has some good stuff but it's like it's not casual Netflix watching. This is, this is homework. <laughs> so be warned. Love it. We're always looking for some good homework on, on the podcast here. That's great. <laughs> what have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss? Ooh, I had a couple things point formed here that I was wondering about. Oh, we talked about everything. It was my fun facts about the length of the tear and we covered it and visas. Oh, that's a tricky thing for, I don't want to dash anyone's dreams. Covered that. Now. Oh, the one other thing. Okay. The high point of the tear, we were talking about all the basic stats and I never uh, pulled that one out. So the high point is 13,200 feet. So uh, high, actually that's almost identical. I think to the PCT, I think Forrester's 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 13.2. That's right. Oh, okay. There we go. So very similar to that, um, except instead of going over a pass, uh, basically to get up to the top of that pass, you're walking along a a glacier (laughs) on the tear, but it's like super safe. Um, in the, I mean, as safe as a glacier can be like, it's very smooth and gradual. So it's not crevassed and stuff. And there's a year round skiing, like people, as you're walking up this slope, there will be people skiing by you on this one path that goes below the ski lifts that is compacted and, and uh, groomed or whatever they do. Anyway, yeah, so there is a mandatory, if you stick to the uh, quote unquote official track of the tear, the uh, official high point is over a big glacier at 13,000 feet. Um, but yeah, you don't need any glacier gear for it, or at least I don't I don't know. This is not professional advice. Don't, don't come crying to me. if You, you forgot. You, you don't feel safe without your ice axe or ropes or something, but yeah, it's the most tamest thing in the world, but it was cool. You know, I forgot to ask you um, here's, here's one other thing that uh, I'm dying to tell us about or, or dying to have you tell us about you, you created this route. What, what is the permitting process? If someone's interested, they have to send money to you and get a permit from you. <laughs> uh, I should say yes. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, all the information I've, I've posted uh, on my blog there, I, I didn't want to paywall anything. Um, I did, I, I posted it all originally and then threw up a, a post on Reddit on uh, on the our ultralight and and people, like the reception was great. And, but the biggest thing people said was you should write a book. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, I mean, that makes sense. That's a good idea. But I didn't want to make a, it didn't seem to make sense to me to make a trail guide for it. Cause one, I just pieced together a bunch of trails that already exist. So you can just get those trail guides. They've already been written. And, and two, like, what are you going to carry this thing? 4,000 miles worth of trail guides. Like, there's no way. Um, too much weight, too much weight, way, way too much weight. <laughs> and 
and as stuff changes, because this is not a set in stone thing, um, people that are hiking that hiked last year and, and a handful of people that are attempting it this year, uh, in contact with them and, and throwing like alternates their way saying, Hey, check this track out. If it looks good, go for it and let me know what you think. I think it might be more scenic than the alternative or, or this depth has more water sources, but I don't know if it goes or, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so people are giving me feedback and I'm tweaking the route as it goes. If I published a guidebook that was like, this is the trail, then it it would just get out of date immediately. So having it all digitally just makes sense. Um, But there was such a demand for it that I was like, you know what, I will make a book, Uh, but it's all, it's just all photography from the whole route and just talking more large scale about the areas you're passing through the national parks you're passing through some of the history of the area the stuff i learned on the way that was like oh that's really like those those little nuggets right it's not necessary to know to hike this but it's cool pieces of culture and history and stuff like that so that's what i packed it with and made more of like a coffee table book so that's people if they visit the site they'll see that me uh um shilling that anyway so i figured i might as well plug it now (laughs) is that already available yeah, yeah, it's on Amazon. Um, it's it's printed on demand because I was just had no idea what the interest would be in in, in all of this stuff. So it, uh, if you order it, it'll take a couple of weeks to get to you because they literally will make it on demand and then ship it out. Um, but yeah, and then uh, and then I take a little cut and it goes to me uh, keeping the info for the route updated. So if people are interested, that's awesome. But otherwise, all the data is on my site, totally free. So you know, nice, go, go crazy. What is the title of that book? The Trans-European Alpine Route Hike Across a Continent. That makes sense. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Hey, we are finished. Thank you for coming on the podcast right on. We wish you the very best in your future adventures, including the Hey Duke. I love to hear about the Hey Duke after the fact, so uh, keep us posted. And the FKT attempt of the AZT. And as I said earlier, I hope you'll consider coming back on and telling some more stories. As we close up today, do you have any shout outs to friends and family, Dylan? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. My mom and dad have always been supportive of all this. The craziest thing I always think of is as much as I know my mom worries when I'm out there without fail, if I hint to a piece of like backpacking gear for Christmas or something yet every year she will give it to me. So I, that, that takes a lot. So thanks mom. (laughs) Add it to the gear room. Yeah, exactly. That's right. All right. Well, Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're two months into a seven-month hike and your buddies have left you all alone. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.